Welcome to Christian Overcomers. I'm Pastor Ben Heath, and I'm going to take you on a line-by-line study through Daniel chapter 2. And we're going to title this, Nebuchadnezzar's Dream of Antichrist. You know, in this chapter, we're going to be given some amazing prophecies concerning the rise and fall of various world empires, even the empire of the Antichrist himself. And uh, so let's get right into this. Daniel chapter 2, verse 1, and it reads, And in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams, wherewith his spirit was troubled, and his sleep broke from him. You know, this must have been some kind of dream. I mean, it had an impact on Nebuchadnezzar to the point where he, he, he couldn't fall back asleep. You know, this wasn't an ordinary nightmare. This wasn't an ordinary dream. There was something different about it. Verse 2, Then the king commanded to call the magicians and the astrologers and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans for to show the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. Now, he's got all of the wise men of Babylon assembled, okay? All of the wise men of Babylon. You remember in the first chapter uh, of Daniel, we talked about how Daniel and his three companions of the children of Judah were found by King Nebuchadnezzar to be ten times wiser than all of the wise men of Babylon. And you know what? It's no different today. Look at what the wise men of Mystery Babylon have us do today. We're under mass quarantines. We're We're shutting down the entire nation, destroying our economy to try to stop a bad flu virus that could have simply been dealt with by quarantining only the sick and protect, taking measures to protect the elderly. You know, I mean, South Dakota has done this. Um, they have made no decree to shut, to no stay-at-home orders or no, you know, house arrest, mass house arrest for, for everybody, and you can only leave, on, you know, to go get groceries. Um, South Dakota put no order. They issued no, no such order. And, you know, they they left it up to the people, the churches, and the businesses to decide how they were going to try to keep themselves safe. How they're going to, you know, let them use common sense to try to um, not spread the virus, okay? It really, I mean, it would have taken um, measures no different than... We normally take. I mean, if the government would just inform us that, hey, a, a bad virus is coming through. So you might want to be on guard. You might, and, and you know, it spreads really fast and it's, it's particularly dangerous to old people and those with underlying health uh, conditions. Um, if they would have just said those things, then people can make their own choice on whether to go out or not. And businesses could decide for themselves, hey, if we're having a problem and our people are getting sick, 
let's take our own measures. Instead of just blanketly telling, putting out edicts saying well, only necessary businesses can uh, can stay open and all uh, non-necessary businesses must be closed or you're going to jail and getting fined $1,000 or whatever. This is, this is absurd. It's crazy. Okay, you know, this isn't a current events message. I'm kind of making it into that, but, you know, God's word does apply. So the wise men of Babylon right now are destroying the nation. The wise men of mystery Babylon, I should say. You know, they claim to be so wise there. Uh, you know, they have all the credentials, the worldly credentials. But they're destroying our country because of a virus that only kills less than, less than, it was not even 1% of our population. Not even, I think it's like 0. 0.00 something. There's point. Point, it's almost point zero. It's almost 0%. There's almost a 0% chance that you will get killed by the coronavirus. Think about that, my friends. Some wise men. I mean, I think this is going to go down as the one of the stupidest scams that has been perpetrated upon our nation. Amazing. Anyways, um, so King Nebuchadnezzar calls all these magicians, astrologers, and sorcerers, and the Chaldeans, because he wants to understand what his dream is. But you're, you guess what? They're not going to be able to do it. Okay, they're not going to be able to do it. They can't really see into the future. Okay, they're all a bunch of frauds. They're all a bunch of fakes. But God's people can. Because we've been given the power of the Holy Spirit as well as the Word of God. All right? Verse 3, And the king said unto them, I have dreamed a dream, and my spirit was troubled to know the dream. Okay? So he, he's telling them, Hey, I dreamed a dream, and I'm very troubled about it. I'll, I don't know what it means. Verse 4, Then spake the Chaldeans to the king in Syriac, O king, live forever. Tell thy servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. Verse 5, The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The thing is gone from me. If you will not make known unto me the dream... With the interpretation thereof, you shall be cut in pieces, and your houses shall be made a dunghill. Man, I tell you what, this is severe. The king is, is telling these guys, hey, you either tell me both the dream and the interpretation, or I'm going to have you killed. You know, Nebuchadnezzar didn't trust these wise men. No doubt he thought, if he told them the dream, that they would just make up the interpretation. I'm sure he's had experiences with these guys before. Like I said, they're, they're really a bunch of frauds with credentials. Okay? So, I, again, I'm, I'm sure he, he had bad experiences with them before, misleading him on other matters. And, and this time he's just not going to be duped. 
He wants to be sure of what he needs to know what this dream means. You know, there's something about it that really, really bothered him. Okay. And no doubt God wasn't going to give him any peace of mind until he discovered its meaning. All right. Verse six. But if you show the dream and the interpretation thereof, you shall receive of me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and the interpretation thereof. Okay? He, he wants to know both the dream and the interpretation. King Nebuchadnezzar doesn't just want the interpretation. Because he thinks that the wise men of Babylon will just make something up. All right? And they would have. They would have. Okay? Um, but, you know, at least he's he's offering a positive uh, reward. Right? <laughs> it's a... All right. Verse... Uh, Verse 7, they answered again and said, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will show the interpretation of it. In other words, they're saying, please, please, first tell us your dream, king. Okay, then we'll tell you the interpretation. Okay, verse 8, the king answered and said, I know of a certainty that you would gain the time because you see the thing has gone from me. In other words, he's saying, hey, you know what? I know what you're trying to do here. You're just trying to gain more time so that you can make something up. But Nebuchadnezzar says, besides that, I, I, I forgot what the dream was. So I need you to tell me both the dream and the interpretation. No other way around it, the king is saying. But, verse 9, but if you will not make known unto me the dream, there is but one decree for you. For you have prepared lying, and here he even says it, you have prepared lying and corrupt words to speak before me till the time be changed. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me the interpretation thereof. My friends, I cannot help but concentrate on this these words here because it applies to what's going on today. You have prepared before me lying and corrupt words. I, I think about these uh, these advisors sometimes to our president in these uh, you know some of these guys in the deep state, constantly lying, making things up to promote themselves and or a different agenda, or because they're just foolish they're just fools with credentials oh we went to the greatest universities we got this and that that's no different than these guys these this was these were what you would call the uh wise men of the of the day your most educated so-called class. You know, shut it, again, I, I can't help but go to this COVID-19 shutdown. I mean, just think of all of the nonsense that they're going through. All of the th these steps and 
edicts and uh, stay-at-home orders and you name it, all, I should say all for nothing. It's not all for nothing. It's actually done all just to destroy our economy. But they think they're saving the world. Some of them, some of them are doing it on purpose. But some of these, some of these idiots actually believe what they're doing is great. But you know, a wise person from God's word could have told you all along, there is never one instance in the Bible where where healthy people are quarantined. You know, it was only the sick that were quarantined. Only those with symptoms, only those that were officially diagnosed as having the the disease. Now, I'm not I'm not saying, you know, the people say, "Well, everybody's got to get tested to see if they have it." What does that do? Sure, it might help in certain situations. Uh, if you're, you know, going to the doctor or something like that to help screen people. But what does it, I mean, you, if you get tested, uh, how often are you going to te- get tested before you go anywhere every day? I mean, this is, this is getting pretty nutty, okay? Pretty nutty. Um, anyways, again, I mean, the wise men of Babylon... Uh, haven't changed even to this day. They're they're all frauds with fancy letters after their names, like our like our liberal professors and our political experts. Nebuchadnezzar knew this, and it it probably didn't bother him most of the time, as long as they lied to promote his agenda. But now that he actually needs the truth because he's really worried, he knows these frauds are incapable of it. And he's in a pickle. Again, whatever this dream was, it caused him to fear. I, I have no doubt it caused him to fear he was going to lose his kingdom. And no amount of soothsaying, no amount of lying and corrupt words were going to satisfy him. Okay? Only a true man of God with real wisdom is going to be able to help now, as we're going to see here. Real soon. Verse 10, the Chaldeans answered before the king and said, There is not a man upon the earth that can show the king's matter. Therefore, there is no king, lord, nor ruler that asks such things at any magician or astrologer or Chaldean. Okay? So they're saying, Hey, king, nobody's ever asked such a thing before. What you're asking is pretty much impossible. Verse 11, and, and it is a rare thing that the king requireth, and there is none other that can show it before the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Okay, you know, this is actually somewhat of a reasonable response, and it's true. No man is capable of doing something like this all on his own, telling somebody what they dreamed. Um, and you know they're right. This is a this is a pretty this is a rare thing that 
uh, anybody would ever ask somebody else to do. But, you know, I find it interesting here that they mention here that only the gods whose dwelling with is not with flesh would be able to understand this. Um, I have no doubt they're referring to the fallen angels and the demons that the Bible warns us about. You know, uh, today, well, today many of the wise men of Babylon don't even acknowledge those things. Oh, we don't believe that or whatever. Um, and if that was understood, if that was understood, these guys apparently knew about it. Uh, if that was understood, the mystery behind aliens and UFOs would be unveiled. Okay? They've been here all along. Good angels and bad angels. They sometimes appear on earth and sometimes they disappear on earth. Sometimes they're flying around in some pretty high-tech equipment um, and things like that. So it's not a great mystery. Uh, the mystery, the Apostle Paul says, the mystery of iniquity has been at work in, uh, for a long time. He mentions that in, um, I believe, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. All right, enough on that. For this cause, the king was, we'll tackle that subject another time. It's a fascinating topic, but but uh, we got to get rolling here. Um, for this cause, the king was angry and very furious and commanded to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. Okay, he's got it. He is, like I said, he's in a pickle. He doesn't know what to do now. And now all that he can do is be angry. Okay. He's, and you know, it's Nebuchadnezzar. We're going to find it. He, he could have a hot temper. He sometimes had a hot temper. All right. Uh, verse 13. And the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain. And they sought Daniel and his fellows to be slain. Uh-oh. You know, that's right. Daniel and his three buddies. Remember from chapter one, they had been elevated to this prestigious class by Nebuchadnezzar, even though they were found 10 times wiser than these guys. Um, but, but now, I mean, being that they're in the same class, they are now uh, under this decree to be slain, to be killed. And you know what? Sometimes... This is important. We're gonna this really gonna see this build up in this book of Daniel. Okay, uh, sometimes God's people will have their faith put to the test. Sometimes we may find ourselves in a situation where it appears as though all hope is lost. What are we gonna do? We're doomed, so to speak. Okay, but they're not going to accept that as their fate. All right. Daniel's not. Then Daniel answered with with counsel and wisdom to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, which was gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. Okay, the secret police, they were going out to capture and kill. And Daniel talks to the to the to the head of the head of that police force here. Um, and this is what he's going to say to him. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree so hasty from the king 
Then Arioch made the thing known to Daniel. Okay. In other words, again, Daniel saying, hey, what, what's going on here? Why is the king in such a rage? Why is this decree going out like this? Verse 16, and then Arioch gave him the explanation. Then Daniel went in and desired of the king that he would give him time and that he would show the king the interpretation. 17, then Daniel went to his house and made the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they would desire mercies of the God of heaven concerning this secret that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. All right, now check this out. When in trouble, that's the first thing we should do is ask God for help. We should lean upon him and trust that if it be his will, that he would deliver us. And notice Daniel didn't panic here. He went right into using wisdom and going to God. Okay, he didn't, he didn't, again, he didn't panic. He didn't show a bunch of fear. He and his buddies uh, got down on their knees and prayed to Almighty God and sought his mercy. And you know what? We're going to see how powerful prayer can be. Prayer is a very powerful thing. And we must never forget to use it, my friends. Verse 19, then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Okay, it doesn't say a dream, it said a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Now this is interesting. Um, in Joel chapter 2, it says that, uh, you know, in the, in the last days that God will give his uh, servants dreams and visions. I think it's young men, visions, and the old men, dreams, if I remember right. Um, and, that, and that they would prophesy. Okay? So, so God does, God can and does reveal things to his servants in dreams and or visions. God will even give dreams to unbelievers at times. Now, I'm not talking about normal dreams. I'm talking about God sent dreams. I'm not talking about crazy, weird dreams sometimes that we have because you're watching some weird old movie and you fall asleep and you're dreaming all kinds of crazy stuff. Or that you just had a lot of things you were thinking about, okay? We're talking about a real God dream, okay? A real dream sent from God. Um, evidently, it, it, when you have one of these, uh, you know that you have one, okay? God will even give dreams, uh, like I said, God will even give dreams to unbelievers. Uh, but in the case of Pharaoh and Nebuchadnezzar, they needed an interpreter, a man of God, to make the thing known. Uh, Pilate's wife even had a dream warning her that Jesus was an innocent man, Okay. So God does communicate with man in those kinds of ways. In fact, to the pro again, 
to the prophets, he does that as well. He did that as well, and uh, I believe he still does. Now, of course, again, of course, we have all kinds of people today, you know, uh, nutballs, quacks, freaks, claiming to have had dreams from God who really haven't, okay? But we don't want them to cause us to discount ones that are real, okay? Ones that are real. Verse 20, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. So the lesson we can learn from this is, hey, when God saves you out of trouble or reveals a great mystery to you, don't forget to praise him. If you've been... Uh, for instance, if you've been given wisdom concerning what really happened in the Garden of Eden and how the seed of the serpent began with Cain, Satan's literal biological son, don't take that for granted. Okay, Don't take that for granted because that's a, that's a pretty big truth that really makes a lot of things make a lot of sense in the world today. Verse 21, and he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. Okay, God is in charge. There isn't a political leader alive today who is in power without God knowing it. He removeth kings and he setteth up kings. And if he wants to remove someone from office, he will do it. All right? If he wants to make sure someone gets in, they will get in. Okay? Sometimes that means a bad king will be uh, brought in to bring judgment upon uh, a nation. And other times that means a good king God will bring in to either show his mercy or to bring blessings. But it will all work out. You know, whenever God raises up kings and removes them, it all works out in the end according to his purposes and his plan. Now, I want to I want to caution you here. That doesn't mean we don't do our part. As Americans, we're supposed to do our best to to find good leaders and vote for them locally and nationally. And it's basically when we've done all that we can do, then it's in God's hands. Okay? So don't use this verse or don't let others use this verse as an excuse to neglect our responsibility as both citizens of the kingdom of God and citizens of these great United States of America. Okay? Um. But, but let me back up just a little bit here. The dream that Nebuchadnezzar, that, Nebuchadnezzar, that Nebuchadnezzar had is about this. It's about God raising up kingdoms and pulling down kingdoms. Foretold of hundreds, now listen to me, foretold of hundreds and even thousands of years beforehand. From the time of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, until the time of the Antichrist. Think about that. In this 
vision. We're going to see that. All right. Let's get rolling. He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in darkness, and light dwelleth with him. Okay, do you want to understand the secret things? It's all here in his word, my friends. I thank thee and praise thee, O thou God of my fathers, who hath given me wisdom and might, and has made known unto me now what we desired of thee. For thou hast now made known unto us the kings matter. Okay? The kings matter. Um, again, he's thankful to God. He's praising him for revealing this mystery. Verse 24, Therefore Daniel went in unto Arioch, whom the king had ordained to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went in and said thus unto him, Destroy not the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show Unto the king, the interpretation. Now look at Daniel here. He even makes a plea for the wise men of Babylon. He could have said, hey, I, um, I know the dream uh, and I can interpret it myself. Save us and destroy those, those wicked frauds. Okay? But Daniel didn't do that. You know, in a sense, Daniel here is becoming their savior. Now, I'm not talking about the savior of their souls. He's saving them from death here by the king of Babylon. Verse 25, then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste. Okay, He's rushing him over there and said, said thus unto him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah that will make known unto the king the interpretation. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar. Okay, Belteshazzar, that's the Babylonian name um, that says, Oh, Bel, you're great, or Bel is the judge. Okay, um, Of course, Daniel didn't like that. That's what Nebuchadnezzar named him. Art thou able to make known unto me the dream which I have seen and the interpretation thereof? Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king hath demanded, cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers show unto the king. In other words, those guys are not able to do this, all right? That's what Daniel's saying. They are unable. And um, again, I, I, I may add, I don't care if you've gone to Harvard, Yale, or some other prestigious school without God's help or the Holy Spirit, you will never be able to discern this dream or the signs of the times that are coming upon us, my friends. Verse 28, but there is a God, but there is a God in heaven that reveals secrets and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. Thy dream and the visions of thy head upon thy bed are these. As for thee, O king, he's getting, he's getting ready to interpret this now. He's going to tell him the dream and the interpretation. As for thee, O king, thy thoughts came into thy mind upon thy bed. What should come to pass hereafter? And he that reveals secrets maketh known to thee 
what shall come to pass. Again, don't you want to know? Don't you want answers to things? Don't you want to know what's going to happen tomorrow and the next day and in the and out into the future? It's right here in his word, my friends. All right? Verse 30, and but as for me, this secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom that I have more than any living, but for their sakes that shall make known the interpretation to the king and that thou mightest know the thoughts of thy heart. Think about this. Daniel doesn't boast to the king and say, I, Daniel, am so wise. I'm going to, I'm going to tell you all, you know, tell your dream and the interpretation. No, he gives all credit to God as it should be. Now think about that. As a student of God's word, if you've been studying the word and God's revealed many mysteries to you, if you have a great understanding of what's happening in the world, be sure to give God the credit and not yourself. Okay? 31, thou, O king, sawest, and behold, a great image, this great image whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible, or it was awesome. So this is the beginning of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. He saw a great image, a great metallic statue, okay? And it was bright, and it, and it was, you know, standing before the king. Okay, you know, this great image should remind us, and you're going to see why in a little bit here, it should remind us of a prophecy concerning the image of the beast in the book of Revelation. For there are things in the book of Daniel that have not yet come to pass, and there are things that have come to pass, but are also a type or example of something yet future. It's important to know that if you want to understand the secrets of the Most High. Verse 32, the image his head was of fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass. Now pay attention closely to these particular uh, pieces of this image and the various uh well, we'll talk about that in a second. We've got to finish here. His legs of iron and his feet part of iron and part of clay. Okay? All these different types of materials, mostly metal blended uh, with a little clay, together form one great idol in the image of a man. Possibly, possibly, a type of or the very image of the Antichrist. On the, what's interesting is on the other, other side of things, a hundred, hundreds of years later, the Apostle Paul. Now, remember, what we're going to see here is that um, all of these different, uh, this idol that he's, he's looking at, now, i got to spoil it a little bit. It's going to be symbolic of all the kingdoms of the world, the pagan kingdoms of the world 
combine together to form one ultimate image. And that image being, I believe, the Antichrist himself. That's what this all culminates in, okay? But on the other side of things, hundreds of years later, the Apostle Paul likens the many-member body of Christians blended together to form the image of Christ, or the body of Christ, I should say. We don't worship an image, his image, but we're made in his image, right? The, the church should be made in Christ's image. And you can find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So you kind of have, uh, you know, the opposites here. You have, here you have an image of the Antichrist, the kingdoms of this world, then the kingdom of God is made in the image of Christ. Fascinating. I'm not going to go any more into that. You can put it together, my friends. That being the case, um, again, these world kingdoms together then would be the many-member body of the Antichrist. Let's read on. Verse 34, Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image, okay, upon his feet that were of iron and clay, and break them to pieces. Wow, amazing. You know, this stone smashing into the feet of the idol, causing it to fall down and break in pieces, reminds me of the stone that David slung at the beast of a man named Goliath. Okay? Another type of the Antichrist who also fell to the ground defeated. Interestingly, this stone seemed to hit the feet for a reason. Okay? It, I mean, it went after the feet. The iron, why would that be? Well, the iron mixed with clay would be an obvious weak spot. All right? And there could be a lesson in there for us for us in this. That lesson would be to always find the weakness of your enemy and attack it or exploit it. Take advantage of it. Okay? As Christians, we should think tact you know, tactfully, uh, tactically at time at times <coughs> so that we're so that we can um Get the most out of our warfare, okay? Verse 35, Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, the gold, broken to pieces together, and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away, that no place was found for them, and the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. What is this talking about? Well, you know, first off, we see this image. It gets hit by this rock. It smashes the pieces and the wind just blows it away as though it never existed. Who do you think is going to do this, my friends? Who do you think is going to strike this image? Well, in Revelation 15, verse 2, we read about a future group of people that had gotten, in quotes here, that had gotten victory over the beast and over his image, and see that, and over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. All right? 
So who's going to do it? God's people are going to do it. And you might be living here on this earth to be a part of that stone that strikes the image of the beast. What a destiny. You know, some people are like, why, man, why do we have to be living during these times? This is terrible. We got all these crazy things going on, and it sure looks like the Antichrist could be showing up with his, what, what, with all this stuff. But hey, this is a great time to live. I know sometimes we have to stand up, and we and it sounds like we're complaining, uh, and um, that's part of our making a stand. But also, it's exciting. We're living. We could be living in those times. If not now, they could be coming very soon. Okay? Am I predicting that? No, I'm just watching. Okay? Verse 36. This is the dream, and we will tell the interpretation thereof before the king. Okay? He hasn't, he hasn't really interpreted it yet. I kind of did a little bit, but he'll get into it here. Thou, O king, art a king of kings, for the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, and strength and glory. Okay, Nebuchadnezzar didn't get this on his own. God only, God allowed him this power, this kingdom. And the king needs to know that. All right? Even the Antichrist himself is only allowed, he only is going to reign for a time because God allows it. Verse 38, And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of the heaven hath he given into thine hand and hath made thee ruler over them all. Thou art this head of gold. Okay? Now, there's no guesswork here. The head of gold symbolizes the Babylonian empire controlled by Nebuchadnezzar himself. Okay? Nebuchadnezzar was the greatest of all the, the Babylonian uh, rulers. Okay? He, he's the man, so to speak. And the head of this image was made of gold, and it symbolizes Babylon. Verse 39, And after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee, and another third kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over all the earth. Remember, God raises up kings and he sets up kings. Well, that's what he's talking, that's what, that's what this vision is all about, this dream. Okay, the second kingdom that would succeed Babylon would be the Medo-Persian Empire. Um, and it would be symbolized by the arms and shoulders made of silver. And that's exactly what happened. Okay, The, the, the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians conquered Babylon later on. And uh, they ruled the world. Then the third kingdom of, of brass was the Empire of Greece or the Greek Empire, okay? And the fourth kingdom, verse 40, and the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, forasmuch as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things, and as iron that breaketh all these shall break in pieces and bruise. In other words, the fourth kingdom to arise, we know, was the Roman Empire that existed during the time of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, his, during the time of his first advent. 
And it was a it was a brutally powerful world empire. Okay? These are pagan world empires. All right. Let's continue on. Verse 41. And whereas thou sawest the feet and the toes, part of potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, but there shall be in it the strength of the iron, forasmuch as thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay. Hey, it seems like that today. It seems like we're in a one world government almost right now, but it's divided. But it's divided. There's still some division. Um, anyways, so what, what is this? Is, is this still talking about the Roman empire when we get to the feet that are made of iron and clay? Well, I don't believe so. You know, some people believe that this, um, because, well, obviously because it's been, you know, almost a couple thousand years since the Roman empire, uh, ruled the world, um, and we're getting to we're going to see that this actually looks forward to the time of the Antichrist. Um, we um, we wonder why is there such a huge gap of time between the Roman Empire that when Jesus was here and the time of the Antichrist? Well, some believe that uh, you know by using the Roman Church and and so forth, uh, the Roman the Roman Catholic Church. That pagan Rome continued its reign all the way up until these present days. Um, that's just one theory. I'm not saying I go along with that. I more go along with that the beast or pagan world domination uh, ended with Rome. And that there's a gap there because I believe that it received a deadly wound. Okay. The deadly wound that's referred to in Revelation chapter 13, the deadly wound to the beast. Um, and then as we get close to the end, when the ten kings arise, I believe that beast will arise up out of the sea, being healed, and pagan world dominion, after about 2,000 years since the time of Christ, will, will, will uh, rule the world once again. In other words, basically since Christianity has been uh, has spread on the earth. Um, there's been pagan king. There's been pagan kingdoms, no doubt, but there's never been a one-world pagan empire since the time of Rome. Okay, we've had uh, the empire of Great Britain and things like that, but the, but that was a those were Christian peoples. Okay, Christian peoples. So I think what we're looking. For, I, I think what's the big thing is, is Satan, um, you know, has that the Antichrist will be a revival of the one world pagan uh, empires, except it'll be the most powerful of all. OK, so we, we find that I believe these 10 toes are, look forward to the time of the end, the time of the 10 kings uh, who will reign one hour with the Antichrist or with the beast. And you can find that written about in Revelation chapter 13 and 17. In fact, we don't have a lot of time left on this study, so I can't cross-reference those places. But they, they go almost hand, they go hand in hand with this. Uh, Revelation 13 and 17 go hand in hand with this chapter. Verse 42, And as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, 
So the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of man. That's interesting. Some believe this is a reference to the fallen angels mixing again with humans, uh, like they did in Genesis chapter 6. Interesting thought. But they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. Okay? You know... I like to think about this as they can preach unity and diversity and tolerance all they want, but you cannot mix iron and clay. Okay? You cannot mix iron and clay. Verse 44, And in the days of these kings shall... Now check this out. In the days of these kings, I believe he's talking about the ten kings, shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. In other words, really what what happens during the time of the Antichrist, all of these kingdoms become united into one in, in somewhat of a metaphorical sense. Babylon, Egypt, all these great empires into one super duper empire the kingdom of the antichrist right okay so the interesting thing is though um and i believe this began when jesus was preaching the gospel of the kingdom um you know and this is where a lot of people get into debates on eschatology uh eschatology um, and, they, you know, you get amil- the amillennialist view, the preterist view, and so forth. Um, but I believe that uh, the futurist view has to be the most accurate view, okay? Um, because the, these pagan world kingdoms have not been broken in pieces. They've not been consumed, but yet God still is setting up a kingdom on earth. Okay, I believe this this really comes down to the remnant of the woman's seed in Revelation chapter uh, 12, as well as the 144,000 that are sealed at the time of the end. But we know this has not come to pass. Okay, we've got a one world government, one world pagan government being formed before our very eyes. So this is not this could not have been completely fulfilled with Rome falling okay this is yet future my friends and you know what these world kingdoms of the antichrist don't stand a chance against the kingdom that we are a part of this is god's promise we will never be defeated though we start out as a small stone that gets chucked at the feet You know, I can't help but think about all the scriptures that talk about how God's elect will stand and witness before kings and rulers to testify against them, to testify against Antichrist's new world order. And I believe that is the stone. Those people are the stone that will be slung at that beast and it will fall. And I think it, it, it captures everything, all these types we've seen. The, you remember David and Goliath, that big 666 monster? 
And you remember the stone that David picked up and threw at that beast and hit him in the head? Very similar to what we see here. Except this time it doesn't hit the head, it hits the feet. All right, lots of things to put together. For the sake of time, I have to move on. I want to just keep talking. Verse 45, For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, the gold, the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter, and the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof sure. In other words, it will come to pass exactly as God has spoken it. And, and so you see this, this great idolatrous system, this image of a man, this image I believe that Nebuchadnezzar dreamed of was the image of the Antichrist, the image of the beast that we will face and we will defeat it. Revelation 15, my friends, that group of people standing there, having victory over the image of the beast. Will you be a part of it? Okay. Will you be a part of it? Um, all right. Uh, I have a lot more that I really wanted to get into there on that verse, but we're going to have to keep moving on here. Verse 46. Then the king Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and worshiped Daniel and commanded that they should offer an oblation and sweet odors unto him. Nebuchadnezzar, no doubt, was amazed. And I'm sure he's relieved. He's figuring, I'm the head of gold, man. Whoo! Ah, oh, what a relief. And and he and the dream made it look like, uh, I mean, Nebuchadnezzar must have been certain that he would finish out his reign as uh, king, uh, as the king of the world at that time. So he's reassured, he's happy, he's given uh, Daniel his rewards here that he promised. The king answered and said unto Daniel, and, uh, or he says, of a truth it is that your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets. My friends, don't forget that aspect of God. Many people say, well, love's the most important thing. Love's the most important thing. Yes, it is. If you know these secrets and you don't love somebody, then the secrets aren't really worth much. But if you just say you love people and you don't know any of the secrets of God, man, you're really missing out, my friends. Okay? And a revealer of secrets, seeing thou couldest reveal this secret. Okay? You know, quite a deal to have the head of this great pagan empire acknowledge that our God is God. Okay? The, um, the Antichrist is not going to, do this okay nebuchadnezzar is acknowledging god the antichrist will not acknowledge god instead he will actually be blaspheming god in revelation 13 okay verse 48 then the king made daniel a great man and gave him many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of babylon and the chief of and chief of the governors over all the wise men of Babylon. Sort of like Joseph, right? When he, he was elevated to be in charge of Egypt, God has a way of advancing his people, my friends. Even in the midst of a pagan 
empire. Verse 49, Then Daniel requested of the king, and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. All right. In conclusion, God's word foretells us all things. The kingdoms of this the kingdoms of this world will rise and fall and the antichrist will come. But God's kingdom will never fall. That's what this was all about. That's that image of the uh, image of, image of the man. No doubt the image of the antichrist uh, rises. But we as that stone kingdom will be thrust at his kingdom, it will shatter in pieces. And our kingdom, that the kingdom we're a part of, God's kingdom, will then grow into a mighty nation, a worldwide kingdom at the time when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. God bless you. Stay in his word every single day so that you can be a Christian overcomer. <laughs>